Hello everyone, welcome to this podcast. I'm Francis Seeley from Globalnet 21. And today we've got Melanie Smith with us. Now, Melanie is a person who has found herself involved in a very, very uh, frantic campaign to try and prevent the deportation of one of her church members. And we're going to talk to her about that and how it all happened, what the process is that she went through, the sort of emotional upheaval for the person concerned and for her and all those who were involved. And I think it's a very, very important and tragic story. And it's a story about lack of humanity and humanity as well to try and rectify the situation. So, Melanie, thank you for being with us today. And that's really great to have you here. But maybe we could start by maybe you just telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do. But when they see you, they'll be pretty clear what you do do. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, as long as you're not listening to sound only, you'll be able to see that I'm wearing a clerical collar. I am a minister in the United Reformed Church, uh, one of the mainstream denominations in the United Kingdom, and I look after three churches here in Enfield, one in Palmer's Green, one in Ridgemore Hill, and one over at Ponder's End. Um, and that involves everything from leaving, leading the services on a Sunday to try and make links with the community and join with the community in a, a common voice uh, for for bringing together people in this area for good and just and right causes. Okay, so you, you're, you're in a church and um, you we're going to talk about Mardi, who's the person facing deportation, um, possibly back to Germany. Now, um, how did you first come across Mardi? How did it all happen? Well, for me, I first came across uh, Maddy back in September of last year. He and his partner started to come to my church. They started to come to my church in Winchmore Hill uh, because uh, Maddy is a Christian. He's from Iran. Uh, I think we we're all aware that being a Christian in Iran is not a good or healthy thing to be. It is, in fact, illegal to talk about your Christianity in any way. Um, and so when he got to the UK, he wanted to find a church uh, when he moved to Enfield to be with his partner Ian. Uh, Ian had good friends at our church, and so they started to come along and join in our fellowship at Winchmore Hill United Reformed Church. So, he, I mean, when he was in Iran originally, um, I gather he was tortured at least twice. Um, was that because he was a Christian and because he was gay, or was there any other reason that you know of? It's a complicated story, and I think that the main reason that uh, Radhi faced discrimination in Iran was because of his Christianity. He didn't really come out as gay um, until a little bit later, um, but he had spent a little bit of time in about 2010 in Turkey, where he came across some Christians. Um, he had his own spiritual experience. Uh, and then on his return to Iran, he started to talk about Jesus, who he sees as his saviour. Uh, that brought him to the attention of the authorities. And uh, twice he was taken into detention in Iran. Um, the torture was as much psychological as it was um, physical, uh, sleep deprivation being the main one with not allowing him to go to sleep at night, keeping the, the cell door banging open and shut lights on and off, that kind of thing. 
by the time you've been taken into detention twice in Iran, um, there's no sense that it would be a third time lucky. So his uh, family helped to helped him to leave Iran. So when he did leave Iran, when he fled, he went to Germany, didn't he? And um, he didn't always have a particularly good time there either, did he? Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, going to Germany, particularly good time. I don't think it could have been particularly much worse. Um, on leaving Iran, a country where homosexuality isn't really uh, spoken about, uh, I think that actually did give him a little bit of freedom to start to think about who he was in terms of himself. And so in Germany, in some ways, it was where he started to, to come out. But when he arrived in Germany in early 2016, you'll remember that that was really at the height of the humanitarian refugee crisis that was that we saw across Central Europe at that time. Um, the German authorities looked at his asylum claim very quickly and very much like happens in the UK. So there's not much difference uh, that a first claim for asylum is usually denied. It is very, very rare for anybody, even if they're accepted later down the line, for a first asylum claim uh, to be accepted. But what this meant for Maddie is that he ended up having to leave his accommodation, his shared accommodation that he was in in Germany and started living on the streets. At that point, whereas in Iran, it, the persecution was for him being Christian, by the time he got to, to Germany, the fact that he was a gay Iranian brought him to the attention of a, of a far-right um, youth group, uh, not organised, but they were young people and they obviously had far-right uh, beliefs, and they picked on him uh, relentlessly night after night, sometimes kicking him and sometimes doing other things which I have to say I don't feel comfortable talking about at, at this time of the, of the morning when other people could be listening in, um, children uh, basically. Uh, so he was very, very damaged by that experience, didn't feel any more safe there. And I think at this point it's only fair for us to remember the horrific attack overnight in Germany where um, eight people were targeted and killed by a far-right extremist. and. It seems hollow to say our thoughts and prayers go out to them at this stage. Um, of course they do, but this is not just a, a tragedy, it's a crime against humanity. Um, but it also goes to underline why Maddie has a real fear of being in Germany. Um, during his times in Iran and Germany, Maddie did uh, develop depression, anxiety, and since coming to the UK, he has been um, diagnosed with PTSD. So his fears of going back to Germany or Iran for him are debilitating. Um, and so we've got huge concerns uh, about his time in, in Germany as well as we have in Iran. So when he was in Germany, he, he faced this discrimination and by far right groups and he came to the UK. How did he come to the UK? Why was it the UK he, he got to? And what was the process who helped him get here? So 
there is the sense that the UK is a fair and just place. Um, for decades, we have been declaring that we have the rule of law and that we are welcoming and that um, we honour and respect asylum seekers. Uh, so knowing that, that Germany hadn't treated him well, um, he was recommended to come to the UK and he did that by a small boat across the channel where immediately he uh, declared himself to the British authorities. It was one of these dangerous journeys in a very small boat uh, that really wasn't seaworthy. Um, so we're very, very grateful that that wasn't the end of the tragedy at that, at that point. Uh, border officials uh, took him into the custody and then placed him up in Liverpool uh, for um, processing and for registration purposes. So eventually he, he went to the Colnebrook uh, Detention Centre, didn't he? And I gather where, when he was there, he was quite brutally treated as well. Um, I mean, I guess you know about that and maybe you could tell us. Yeah. So not long after arriving in Liverpool, he actually uh, met somebody online, uh, a Facebook romance, uh, which is still flourishing person to person. Uh, and uh, Maddie uh, moved down to Enfield with a, a local man here. Um, and then last, late last August, uh, Maddie had been suffering from his mental health condition and he was told that he didn't need uh, to go and register uh, like uh, on his bail conditions that uh, asylum seekers have to do as a as, as matter of the course here and that's fine but he was told he didn't have to because of his health condition. Um, unfortunately um, the Home Office didn't receive the notes, couldn't find the notes and so they uh, broke down the door uh, early one morning and took him to detention at Colnebrook. Um, at that time, uh, the legal options had not all been filed, but the government policy effectively is, is to refuse one legal, uh, one legal argument and then try to remove the person. So they booked him on a flight back to Germany because that was his point of uh, entry into Europe. Um, uh, Maddie, that morning when he heard he was going back, he actually had a blade uh, and he um, did try to end his own life. Uh, he was found, he was bandaged, uh, but wearing only, only his underpants covered in blood and with a, a towel put around him for decency, not even his own clothes. Uh, he was very uh, physically moved uh, to uh, Heathrow and put on a plane. Um, obviously, the Home Office would claim that reasonable force was used. There is a sense that this is a, a mentally uh, unstable man who had just tried to take his own life uh, and they effectively um, knocked him to the ground, um, restrained him and forced him um, in, into the van and onto the flight. At which point when he arrived in Germany, Germany saw the physical and mental state that he was in and felt that they could not take responsibility for him at that stage. 
and told the British authorities that they had to take him back and care for him, that they wouldn't accept somebody who had been obviously so maltreated. Um, so he was returned to the UK and then released on bail for another few months. I am in uh, detention centres are quite a uh, sort of controversial issue. And I mean, has your experience of looking at his detainment in a, a detention centre uh, brought you to the view that they're not the most humane places in the world? I think also the language we use is really interested in this. Detention centres, they are fully secure prisons. Um, they they look like a prison, they act like a prison, they are a prison. Maddie has committed no crime other than wanting to be safe. Uh, and for that to be put in prison with all the restrictions on, on what you can do, who you can associate with, is uh, well, it's it's it's, a, it's, another, it's it's punishing people for the fact that uh, they have come to this country on the premise that we are a safe and humane country and will and have promised to take care of people. It's a perverse situation to be in. In fairness, when I visited Maddie at the detention centre, there were a lot of people that, that smiled, were quite pleasant to us. They didn't mistreat us. Um, the visitors' room wasn't altogether unpleasant, other than I think a very well thought out picture of the Tower of London on the wall, which I'm not sure quite what that says to people uh, staying in a detention centre. But there was still, they, they were prison guards. Um, they couldn't speak quite openly to you. They stated very clearly to me that um, Mehdi would struggle uh, there because he was gay and that he would be uh, subject uh, to having to look, look after himself very, very carefully and having to be watched by other people by the staff very, very carefully, because being gay in detention in prison is, is not a safe place to be in itself. Okay, so you went through all this and you, you obviously, um, you know, had communication with the Home Office. Did they at any point give you uh, the grounds why his application was refused or was there a deadly silence? Well, there's been two big periods of detention. So the first one where he was taken back to Germany and that refused um, was last late last summer, beginning of late autumn. It, more recently, he was taken into detention again, again, because he was advised he didn't need to sign on. Um, and then he did. And so they uh, came, came to um, detain him and try and fly him out again. And we're very grateful to um, the local MP, Ferriel Clark from Enfield North, who intervened and managed to get those uh, flights um, suspended. Um, and now I can't remember exactly what your question was, Francis. I beg your pardon. Well, sometimes I can never remember what my question was either. But the question was, I mean, did the, did the whole, I mean, what was the reason the whole office oh, yes. gave for his refusal? Or, or did they not tell you at all? Uh, they do give reasons. Uh, they said that uh, his relationship with his partner was not genuine, uh, which to anybody who knows them knows completely how ridiculous that is. It is a fully genuine relationship. They 
care for each other very much. They are in love with each other um, and they have a strong relationship, even though they've only been together for, for less than a year. And I think of my parents that got married after just knowing each other for three months and are still uh, together with each other 40 years later. So I've got no concerns about the strength of their relationship. Um, they're a lovely partnership together. They also claim that uh, Medi will be completely safe in, in Germany. And technically, I don't know how much less safe Germany is for a gay Christian asylum seeker who is suffering from PTSD than England is in, in some respects. But I do know is that Maddie's mental health is so fragile. His fear of going back to Germany because the very appalling treatment he received out there means that for him, return to Germany is the ending of his life. When we went to the bail hearing near Heathrow um, at the end of January to try and secure his release because we didn't feel that all the arguments, legal arguments had been looked at properly, his last words to the Home Office official and to the judge as he was being taken back into detention um, were, I will not be leaving this country alive. Oh dear. Um, and, well, they, 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 they are final words. He is terrified of going back to Germany. Do you think because he said that is that's one of the reasons why originally, as I understand it, anyhow, he wasn't granted bail? The last um, refusal for bail was actually on a technicality. We ended up having to withdraw our application for, for bail in the court because there had been a second flight booked out for him after we'd managed to get the first flight cancelled. It's all very technical and all very complicated. And uh, if there is a flight booked, then actually you will never be granted bail. So we had to withdraw that application for bail. However, um, once we had managed to get that second flight uh, in January uh, cancelled, uh, again through Farrell Clark's intervention, we were there in the in situation whereby it is um, against um, common practice, and indeed I think it's against the law to be able to hold somebody in detention uh, who is either a victim of, of torture, and there is a medical report um, on file to say that um, Medi uh, uh, has been a victim of torture and it's also illegal to hold somebody with severe mental health issues. So at that point, uh, a couple of weeks ago, he was released uh, back to, to be with his partner here um, safely in Enfield. However, since that time, uh, another application, another submission to the courts that he should stay here was again rejected. It, it was turned around extremely quickly, which was a surprise to us all, uh, which meant that uh, yesterday, Wednesday, he should have had to go and sign on. But to go and sign on would have almost certainly mean that he'd have been detained again because we feel that the Home Office would have booked another flight. As I say, as soon as one legal channel uh, has been rejected, the Home Office 
put you on another flight to try and get you out as quickly as possible. Um, the concern, the worry for this was so bad that uh, an ambulance was called for Mehdi on Monday morning. Uh, he was assessed uh, and is now um, a resident at, at Chase Farm Hospital here in Enfield. Um, and we are aware that they are looking for a relatively long stay for him that his 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 mental health is is yeah. that fragile and they're so concerned about his his suicidal tendency in 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 your discussions with the home office and your contacts did you get a sense of frustration frustration in having to deal with them did you get a feeling there was still a culture of hostility or were they very open with you this is going to sound bizarre i have not been able to speak to the Home Office. I have had not one um, conversation with them. Um, at one point, I, after sending in the petition at that point with over 37,000 signatures on it, it's now well over 39,000, um, I just got a standard reply saying, uh, we will respond to you within 20 days given the fact that it was less than 20 days that he was already booked on a flight to go out that wasn't exactly a, a satisfactory answer um, they have then done a more substantive reply which effectively says we don't talk to individuals about other people's cases uh, the home office have spoken to uh, the mp and the mp's assistant and they do speak to the solicitor but they they follow a tick box procedure and they follow a copy and paste procedure. So the latest rejection that we received at 5.30 on Friday evening uh, did actually say that we see no reason why you cannot be returned to Iraq. It also said um, that we see no reason why you and your son will be safe on return. <laughs> Mehdi doesn't have a son. Um, and so that, that the Home Office, when they say they have carefully considered the application, show no care in the response that they give. Um, and the flagrant disregard for trying to look at this as an individual case and not just cutting and pasting um, refusals from somebody else is unspeakable i appreciate that the home office are busy but this is somebody's life we're talking about it is just not acceptable to cut and paste from somebody else's papers um, so, in a refusal which means that somebody is effectively um consigned to either exceptionally mental ill health problems or where he may feel he needs to end his own life so, you know, your, your contact with, with, with the Home Office really showed that they uh, hadn't carefully considered it at all, really, as it, well, it was a tick box, tick box intervention, as you said. You, you mentioned the petition. You've actually started a campaign. Is the petition been the main part of it? You mentioned contact Imperial Clark, who was his MP, and she did some great work. But have you worked with just a petition or have you been working with refugee organisations as well to try and resolve this? We've reached out to uh, many people. I'm certainly not alone in, in the work that's been done. Um, in fact, I don't want to name check at the moment because 
there are so many people who have done so much. We have been in touch with various different refugee um, organisations. Uh, Ferial has been great. Uh, people on Enville Voices have been fabulous and suggesting things. Um, the, yeah, the petition has been particularly good in people being able to suggest other things to try. Uh, we've needed, sadly, also to start a fundraiser because legal fees do not come cheaply at all. Um, and people have been great and generous with that. Um, we've been trying, I think, everything that we can to raise a profile. We've had online articles in the Huffington Post, in the Metro. Um, we've appeared online and in print in the United Form Churches, magazines in the Church of England's Church Times. Um, uh, gay times um, of pink news uh, we've and I've also been on local radio on BBC Radio Essex as it happens um, and and now here so we're reaching out for help for people with expertise um, for advice for support and during that process not that we ever suspected that we were alone but there have been many people who have contacted us who have gone through not the same experience but very very similar experiences of being turned down by the home office so the petition has been a great way to to, to reach out and share yeah. well you've obviously done a lot you've been sent central to this sort of campaign and it must have created a lot of strain and stress for you um uh, and obviously not as much as marty but for you and, but in one sense, despite his tragedy, he's lucky in one point, he's had you and he's had other people. Now, there must be some people going through similar situations who, hasn't, who have no advocate. I mean, those are really tragic, aren't they? Well, they are. Um, and I think that this has been interesting because there are people... Subject of asylum seekers, the subject of refugees, is something that I've been involved with through my work back in uh, South End when I was a minister there. I've been involved with Enfield Refugee Welcome here. Um, I've a little bit support for Care for Calais, other organisations, and I talk about it. I preach about it on a Sunday morning. Um, I occasionally share posts on Facebook. I try to, to raise uh, these issues quite often. In, in community um, but what has really alarmed me is and I'm not criticizing my little church at Winchmore Hill at all but despite all of that and me trying to raise awareness of it it wasn't until Medi was taken away from them that they had any idea that this happens and people just do not know what happens they've got no idea of the reality and it's them that are now saying to me my goodness, how do we raise a profile of what's happening? How can we do more to help? Because how many other people are going through this without people to support them? So there's a real sense that there are people who, because they're touched personally about it, feel that they have to do more about it. So I'm not suggesting that, that we're gonna suddenly solve the problem, but all of a sudden I've got many people who are, who are ready to try and reach out and help more people in these situations but Medi really is the, the tip of an iceberg um, there are many people with really 
good uh, grounds to be granted asylum, a safe place in this country. Uh, but the, the Home Office, is, as we've said, um, are trying to fulfill uh, quotas, are trying to live up to the expectation that the government uh, have put on them to basically say that we don't want migration and that people without a voice, without support, are easy targets to get rid of so that the government are able to say, yes, we managed to solve this problem. There were this many of people that came to the country. They didn't have a good reason to stay here, even though the case hadn't been fully heard. And so we can send them back. They're an easy way of, of making a hit to say they're fulfilling their election promises. Okay, well, I mean, clearly he's got your support and you've got the support now of a lot of people and that, that is really great. I mean, if you'd like to speculate, what do you think the future holds for Mardi? We wouldn't be doing any of this if we felt it was a lost cause. I would not be expecting other people to spend their time on it or even give financially if I felt that we were just pouring time down the drain, money down the drain. And therefore, we have got to go forward on faith and confidence and say, we will get this sorted. We know that Medi has got a really good reason to stay here. We know that actually the country will benefit from his staying here. He doesn't cost us anything at the moment uh, because his partner is, doesn't, we do not, um, Mehdi has got a status which means he doesn't get any money from the government. So he's living here free of charge other than his medical care. Uh, certainly his medical care because of his status as a, as a, as a um, victim of torture, uh, there are many charities that will pay for that. So it's not even that we're asking the NHS to cover that eventually. Uh, and he um, is qualified as a um, a sports therapist. So he'll be able to work and help others in the community. He'll be nothing other than a good um, member of society uh, who will be working um, uh, for others and with others. And so that is what's going to happen. We are going to make sure that the Home Office realise that, that not only has he a good uh, case for asylum, he has a good case for asylum here, and that actually he will benefit Enfield and the country as, as a whole and become a great taxpayer um, and, and pay all his taxes on time uh, and, and benefit the whole of society. Well, I guess when you're in a campaign like you are, you have to be an optimist. We, we, we sort of come to the end of our 30 minutes now, but do you want to tell us finally, if anybody wanted to get involved in the campaign, to help in any way, to get in touch with you, where do they go? What do they do? The easiest way is to look on the website change.org and then type in the word MADI, M A D H. So just in, in a search engine, um, just type in change.org and the word uh, MADI, M-A-D-H-I, and read through that, support the petition if you're able to. Also, there are a series of updates. The latest couple of updates have got uh, ways of supporting financially. And if you feel that you could offer advice or other links to other organisations, you can put comments uh, on that petition and I can be in touch. I follow that very regularly and do try and follow up on those uh, comments when I can.
Okay, well, thanks very much. I've seen your updates on change.org, so I know you work very hard in informing people what the latest situation is. So that's fantastic. I mean, you know, that's a great interview. It's a tragic situation you're in, but you've done so much work and the people around you have done so much work that it's great to see what might be hopefully a positive outcome outcome and i'm sure Marty is really grateful for all the help he's got and despite his mental health problems it's made it less worse than it would have been had you not been there so thank you for doing this and can i just you. say one final word and um, when the, uh, when the uh, a petition had reached thirty-five thousand signatures and he was in detention in colnbrook he said to his partner does that mean that i have to bake thirty-five thousand cakes to thank them all <laughs> And, and of course, you said yes. <laughs> um, but anyhow, yeah, <laughs> it'd be interesting to see if he, if he does. But that, that's a lot of people on the petition, and that's really yeah. good. Well, thank you again, Melanie, for doing that and for what you're doing generally and, uh, you know, for being who you are. So thank you. And, uh, you know, we've come to the end of the interview. So we'll uh, end this interview now. Mm -hmm.